Father God, we just thank you that you are a wonderful, wonderful Father. And Lord, we come here today to worship you in perfect freedom. And how blessed we are to be able to do that. We ask for your special blessing, um, Father, on our service a message from Mark. And Father, what Mark says today in this service, may it glorify your holy name. And we pray this in the name of Jesus our Saviour. Amen. Alex Bainton is going to give us the Bible reading. Thanks, Alex. John 18, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No! Not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising 
Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gebatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can uh, entrust ourselves to you. We do pray for Marianne with uh, the healing of her shoulder. We pray that that would happen soon. Uh, please comfort, in her, comfort her in her distress and disorientation. And we pray for uh, speedy 
recovery and that she would um, put her hope in you very clearly in this situation. And Father, for ourselves, we pray also that we would put our hope in you as we are reminded of the wonderful truth of the gospel and of this extraordinary saviour that we have, and we pray in his name. Amen. Also, great to have uh, some kids amongst us this morning. I, I do have a couple of things in the talk that hopefully might be interesting to you. First of all, we do like it when justice is done. Now, in the schoolyard, if the bully gets in trouble, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. That's called justice, and we like that. If someone, on the other hand, is innocent, and then someone makes up a story about them, and then they have to go off to the principal and get in trouble, that's injustice. We don't like that, right? That's bad. Well, this is what happened to me when I was in primary school. I couldn't believe it. I got in trouble with a bunch of rough kids, and I got marched off to the principal's office. I was just minding my own business, but, you know, I must have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was shivering in my boots as I stood with my back up against the wall, as I'd been told to, uh, facing the principal across the desk. Poor little minister's kid caught up with these hooligans. And I'm sure the adults know about this too. When violent people or abusive people are convicted for the wrong things they've done, it's a good thing. And it's a great injustice when crucial information is covered up to protect a person who has done the wrong thing. Well, today is Palm Sunday. And in some churches, uh, you know, they set up displays of palm branches. And sometimes congregations actually process up the street into the church, waving palm branches to show others that we're celebrating. What are we celebrating? 2,000 years ago, outside Jerusalem, people waved freshly cut branches there too, and they laid down their cloaks. They took their cloaks off their back, put them down on the dusty road in front of Jesus as he entered the city on a donkey a week before his death and resurrection. And we call this the triumphal entry. The great king has arrived. Now, this had been predicted in the Old Testament. God can do that kind of thing. He can announce 500 years beforehand in the old part of the Bible what he was going to do in the future. So see if you can pick the clue in this passage from the Old Testament. This is from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O Zion. Shout, O Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots and the war horses, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will, his rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, Jerusalem, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Okay, that was an old, old promise. God's king was going to be humble and lowly. He would bring peace and freedom. He wasn't coming on a war horse or a chariot. In fact, he was going to get rid of all those weapons of war. So a week later, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, Perhaps there are a few of the people who'd seen him the week before. They've been waving their palm branches, and now they're a little worried. 
Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. And this is Jerusalem, it's the big city of the Jews, but the Romans are in charge. Caesar was the emperor in Rome, and his armies had conquered Jerusalem with war horses and chariots. And he'd put the governor, Pilate, in charge to keep the peace, to make sure there were no rebellions or uprisings against the rule of Rome in Jerusalem. And if there were rebellions or uprisings, there was going to be trouble. The punishment for that was really serious. The punishment for that was execution. Rome was really, really worried about revolutionaries and rebels. And there was one person who had the right to decide if someone should be executed for being a rebel. And guess who that was? Pontius Pilate. And now the the Jewish leaders, they've arrested Jesus. They've not accepted his message. They've not believed him. In fact, they have plotted against him. They hate him. They hate him so much that they want him put to death, officially. And so they're bringing him to Pilate because he's the only one who's allowed to put someone to death, officially. It's so sad because God's promise to bring the the great king of peace on the donkey that was made to them, to the Jews, but the Jewish leaders want him dead. God's people are rejecting not just a popular man, they're rejecting God. Can you see the tragedy in that? Pilate, of course, thinks he's probably, they're just wasting his time. He asks them, what charges are you bringing against Jesus? Jesus? They say, oh, well, well, um, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he wasn't a criminal. Oh, okay, sure. Lesson one about justice, you can't just accuse someone of being a criminal. You actually need to be specific. What did they actually do? Is there a law that they broke? Did they rob a bank? Did they kill someone? They're just being a great big nuisance for Pilate. He says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Objection, Your Honour, they say. We don't have the right to execute anyone. Now, lesson two about justice. You need to work out what the crime is before you work out what the punishment should be. But they're so determined to have Jesus put to death that they'll come up with any crime they can think of to pin on him. So Pilate thinks, well, I'd better have a private conversation with Jesus. He goes inside his palace this is, uh, and he summons Jesus. This is out of the sight of the, the Jewish leaders. And he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus is very shrewd at this point. He hadn't been outside with the Jewish leaders, but he knew that they were just trying to throw lots and lots of mud at him in the hope that some of it would stick. It's a very dangerous question to answer. Are you the king of the Jews? Because the thing is, he actually is the king of the Jews, because that's what the Bible says. But he's not a revolutionary. He's not a rebel. But if he's not a revolutionary, and if he says, but he's not a revolutionary, and if he says, yes, I am the king of the Jews, then Pilate will think he is a revolutionary. So Jesus asks Pilate, well, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? I've got my suspicions. 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Lesson three about justice. The judge shouldn't have to ask the accused person what he's done wrong. You can see there's something wrong here, can't you? Jesus goes back to the question about whether he's the king of the Jews. He's not hiding anything. Jesus says, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. He's not a revolutionary, but neither is he any ordinary citizen either. Do you think of Jesus as your king? In Australia, of course, we don't have a king. We, uh, we have a governor general who is the representative of the Queen of England. Strange situation in some ways, isn't it, these days? Why do we, why do we call Jesus king? Why do we call him the king of kings? Well, because we believe he has authority over the whole world. Even over nations like Rome and Australia or China or the United States. Authority that has been given to him by God. Now, most world leaders receive their authority in one of three ways. They're either elected by the people or they're born into a royal family of some sort, or they snatch power using military force. Jesus is saying that he has an authority that comes from another source, a higher source, not the people, not the family, not the army. His authority comes from God, the creator, who owns the whole world. And he has the right to establish his authority on earth. And Jesus is saying, that's the authority I have. And so it raises the good question, a good question, big question. What does the human race do with the king that God has established? Well, Pilate's response is to say, oh, you are a king then. But I don't think he really believes it. Jesus tells him that the very reason he came into the world was to testify to the truth, to God's big truth. And he even says these audacious words, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says the sort of thing that if you say to your friend, they'll think you're crazy. But Pilate replies, what is truth? How am I going to get to the bottom of this, he's thinking. He thinks Jesus is completely mad. And he's come up with an idea. To, for how to deal with this nuisance situation. So he goes back to the Jewish leaders. And this is verse 39. It is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the, the king of the Jews? And I think Pilate has slightly underestimated just how much they hate Jesus. There's no way in the world they're going to go with this. They shout back at him. They're mad. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising, John tells us. So Barabbas is a revolutionary. He's been convicted of being a rebel against Rome. 
and sentenced to death. He's a violent man who's committed murder. But they would rather set him free than set free God's king. That is injustice. But good for a Barabbas. He doesn't have to pay the penalty for his own sin. It's an extraordinary grace that comes to him through this great injustice to Jesus. Well, Pilate has another idea. He has Jesus flogged. That means whipped. And it's not the same kind of flogging that he would receive later, which would have been very, very awful. But this, this whipping would have been enough to show everybody that Jesus had been punished and humiliated. And so the, the, the soldiers join in and they, they twist together this crown of large thorns and they put it on his head and then they put a, a robe, a purple robe indicating kingship and they put that on him and then they mock him. You know, they make a great big joke of him and they spit on him and all this sort of thing. And then, then Pilate brings Jesus out to the crowd so they can all see him. And he says, look, I, I don't think this guy is guilty deserving death. But look at him. We've given him a, great, a, good, a good beating. He's not a real king. He's a joke. But that's not enough either. They catch one glimpse of him, because they haven't seen him yet since they handed him over. They catch one glimpse of him and they start screaming their heads off. Crucify! Crucify! Pilate says, you take him and crucify him. But he just wants them to go away. He knows they can't execute him. And he also knows Jesus is not guilty. This is a big problem. They disagree with him. They say he deserves to die because he claims to be the son of God. Now this finally gets to Pilate. The Romans were quite superstitious. And the idea of Jesus being a son of the gods up there with the emperor, maybe there's something going on here and Pilate becomes afraid according to the text. And he takes Jesus back inside and he starts to quiz him again. Verse 9 of uh, chapter 19. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus speaks, verse 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even, in, even Pilate has his power given to him from above too. He, he thinks he, that he got, well, above Caesar that is. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. Yes, Jesus says, you do have power over me, but it is given to you by God. Well, then Pilate tries to do everything that he can to set Jesus free until finally the Jews fire off their nuclear missile. Verse 12, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king 
opposes Caesar. And so Pilate's own loyalties are now on the line. Verse 13, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. We have no king but Caesar, answered God's people. Where are your loyalties? This is, this is a terrible story, isn't it? It's so sad, it's so tragic. It's the most serious injustice in the history of the world. The psalmist, I'm going to quote some more Old Testament over the next few minutes because this is really helpful in terms of trying to understand this. This is from Psalm 2. The psalmist said, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah. That's what that word anointed means. God's king who is anointed to bring peace and freedom, to take away the chariots and the war horses. Humans, we did this. This sham court was not the first time Jesus was told he doesn't belong. And don't think it will be the last time human beings will tell him this. Does our society acknowledge Jesus' kingship? Does your family acknowledge Jesus' kingship? Do your friendship groups acknowledge it? Is Jesus your king? course we saw last year last week sorry that uh, this was all part of God's unfolding plan Jesus actually knew everything that was going to happen to him uh, here in this court and he didn't resist he went willingly effectively handed himself over he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he didn't open his mouth he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Where do you think those words come from? Those are words written by the prophet, inspired by God's spirit, hundreds of years before Christ. And they're from Isaiah chapter 53. Hear what else that Isaiah 53 has to say about what was to happen. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace fell on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, 
the sin of us all. Well, two things to say to bring us hope in this situation. Firstly, God's mercy is astounding. God's mercy is astounding. This terrible act of cruelty and injustice, it actually leads to the very place where God forgives our sins. The cross. He lays on Jesus our sin. Where we've turned away from God, he calls us to come to the cross for forgiveness. To the very place where human evil is seen more clearly than anywhere else in all the world. This evil, evil thing, the, the cross where God's king is brutally executed. This is the place he wants you to, you to come so that your sins can be forgiven. What an extraordinary gospel. And if we come to the cross on our knees, admitting our sin, admitting our involvement in the evil of the world then he will give you, I know this sounds a little trivial, but he will give you a new pair of glasses. And you will see what Isaiah saw in the vision as he saw the cross. That at the cross, although it is the place where humanity declares war on God yet again, this is where God makes peace with us. The sin you've just admitted by coming to the cross on your knees is now on Jesus' shoulders and you can see it with your glasses. He bore the penalty for it so you don't have to. The things we did wrong, he didn't want us to have to face the penalty for those things. He wanted to forgive us of them. God's mercy is astounding. And so he took the penalty on himself. He allowed Pilate and the Jews to conspire against him. He laid down his life. They didn't snatch it from him so that by his wounds you and I would be healed. The prophet said he was going to take away the war horses and the chariots. The real fight that he was going to get rid of was the fight between us and him. And one day he'll take away those weapons of war from human beings as well. God's mercy is astounding. Secondly, God's victory is awesome. In the same passage in Isaiah, a little bit further on, this is still chapter 53. It says, after he had suffered, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And also makes me hark back in my mind to Psalm 2, which spoke about the kings and the rulers plotting against the Lord's Messiah. Well, this is God's response. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, So what does God do now that people have put the Messiah to death? He raises him to life. Jesus is alive today because you can't put God's king to death. 
In fact, Psalm 2 has a fierce warning at the end. He says, Therefore, you kings and rulers, prime ministers, governors, whatever you want to call them, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son. Embrace him. Or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, we like it when justice is done. What happened to Jesus was awful injustice, but God loves justice too. He fixed it. He raised Jesus from the dead. He created a place that every human being can come to, to have their sins dealt with. You see, we should be punished for the way we've treated God and his Messiah. But God did this to bring you peace, not punishment. So come to Jesus on your knees. And let's turn, to, turn away from our sin and turn to him while we still have the chance. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord God, we are struck this morning that your mercy is astounding and your victory is awesome. We thank you for Jesus, for his willingness, for his determination to go through with this in love for us. That as he was on the cross, he bore our sin so that at the very place of this great, grievous human evil, we can come to you for forgiveness. We thank you for your heart, which is so overflowing with grace and mercy and love and kindness to us. We thank you for the peace that you have established through Jesus, that you have not left him dead in the, in the tomb, that you've raised him from the dead, that he is almighty, and that he is your king established over the world. We put our faith and trust in him again this morning and we long to see him with our eyes. And we pray these things in Jesus' eternal mighty name. Amen.